Today's show is being brought to you by contributors at Patreon. Go to patreon.com backslash the education game to support the show and thanks. Hey gamers, this is Matt coming uh, with another podcast. This time, I got to tell you, this was one, I say this a lot, but this one is legitimate. I'm really excited. We've got a guy named Michael Strong who uh, I've got to know in the space of education. He is uh, an entrepreneur in education. He's been a teacher. Uh, He's a super thoughtful guy around all things related to kids. Um, And so let's get into it because parents, you're going to want to learn from this guy, he's got uh, he's got information who uh, that that you're gonna want to know to help your child have the best shot possible. Michael, welcome to the education game. Thanks, Matt. Delighted to be here. Yeah. So, Michael, let me start. I start with a lot of uh, my guests with asking this question about their educational journey. Now, I know yours is long and it winds. Mm-hmm. See if we can narrow it down to like the key points of your educational journey, um, and and then we'll we'll pick it up from there. Sure. Well, a short version is I went to regular public schools and, um, you know, that's just what people did. I never thought about it. My junior year in high school, I had a teacher where all we did is read, think and talk about ideas. So Nietzsche, Mm. Buber, um, and I loved it. Plato. Uh, I discovered St. John's College where for four years, that's all you do. Um, I had good test scores. And so I went to Harvard instead for one year. I was bored at Harvard having famous people lecture at me. I switched to St. John's and... uh, you know, love the intellectual dialogue thing. While in graduate school at Chicago, at the University of Chicago, I began leading Socratic seminars in Chicago public schools. And that led to a 35-year career, uh, ultimately creating a private and a charter school based on Socratic dialogue. Yeah. So that's the super fast version. That was very fast. I mean, I know you started schools. You've done a bunch of other things as well. Um, okay, let's... So for the parents listening... Uh, Let's have you unpack what does Socratic dialogue mean? And so going all the way back to your junior year when you had these conversations, what does that mean and why is that important? So a couple of things. First, I'll give it what I love. So I'm incredibly curious. I like to I like to think about ideas. I like to think about what's true, what's good, what's noble. And I love doing that with other people. And yeah. I would say that after my wife, uh, St. John's was one of the great loves of my life just because I love doing it. So mm. one interpretation of my career is that I selfishly took this thing I love to do and went around creating schools based on something <laughs> I, I wanted to do so I'd have people to talk with. That said, um, there are also, I would say, incredible external benefits. Uh, years ago, I read an article about people who earned over $100,000, and this is probably 150 k now, were very articulate. They were capable, you know, whether it's sales or management or yes. summarizing a meeting, people who can read, write, speak, and think are just more valuable. Yes. So uh, I would say internally, it's fun. And part of my joy in creating schools based on this is kids have fun and be it being articulate in written and spoken word is incredibly valuable. So huge, so huge. You know, I, and good parents, I want to hear, want you to hear just something that um, never gets really discussed in a traditional educational model, which is the absolute critical nature of reading, writing, speaking, and thinking, thinking on your feet. In fact, I've actually, Michael, I don't know if you know this, but we've talked about adding visual communication as one of our, uh, you know, kind of core elements of what a young person needs to learn. How do you use video? How do you use, you know, all these technology kind of elements to communicate 
uh, with the spoken word, with music, with writing. I mean, it's all kind of around communication. And so yet we spend so much time in, in a traditional school, you know, futzing over uh, uh, math and, and, and things that you never touch again. And yet we don't develop kids who are well-read and, and, and well-spoken. Well, and, and one other way to look at it, I agree with everything you said, is that, you know, if you want to be an athlete in shape, you know, you have to actually lift the weights. You can't have the coach lift the weights for you. Yeah. If you want to become better at speaking, you got to be speaking. So right. any classroom, any school where the teacher is doing all the talking, the kids are not getting better at thinking. And thinking on your feet, so again, great visual communications, but the thinking on your feet is really important. Right. I've met college graduates who, you know, if there's a meeting, any startup meeting, any business meeting, any nonprofit meeting, you got people thinking on your feet. And if somebody else is thinking faster than you are, they are leading that dynamic. And That's so exactly if you are in any sense slow, you're behind the eight ball. And it takes practice to kind of have your own ideas, think, okay, what is Matt thinking? How do those ideas relate and respond in real time? Incredibly valuable. If you want concrete things, um, you know, my wife had a company before she met me and she raised $35 million. And one of the challenges was she was not used to kind of thinking and engaging, mm. you know, and, you know, and, and so there was a proxy battle got ugly and you think, hey, this is power. You know, if you can't stand up for what you believe, articulate and boom, in real time, you could lose. That's right. That's right. And, and that's actually what happens. Right. And, you know, I think about. Uh, you know, one of the areas that we'll get into a little bit later is this uh, conversation we've had multiple times about boys of color, particularly black boys. Um, so, but for every kid, uh, most of their schooling experience is really going to a place and being spoken to, right? And what you're saying is the skills of business, the skills of really leadership and life are in the interpersonal, right? The the conversation we're having right now, your ability to take an idea that you read about a year ago and integrate it into a conversation today. That skill, if again, parents, ask, your, ask yourselves, how much of that do you see your child doing? Ask your child how much they see themselves doing. That's a really critical skill that's not getting taught. Big time. And I just yeah. want to set STEM, STEM aside. For people that are into STEM, it's fabulous. For kids who love math, I say the more math, the better. So I you know, want to respect STEM. And Absolutely. STEM as a life life career, is that maybe 30%, maybe 50%, probably more like 30%. Mm -hmm. What is everybody else doing? They're talking and doing stuff. And so one way I evaluate somebody, you know, I've worked in lots of organizations, started up lots of organizations. Would I hire this person? Would I want to be with this person? Would I want to hang out? Uh, would I want to build something with this person? And it's a matter of seconds. Can they explain themselves? Can they <laughs> right. think? Are they right. pleasant? You know? And so are they, somebody are they curious. Exactly. And somebody yeah. who's an inarticulate or a jerk, forget it. I don't care how many PhDs they have, SAT scores, grades. You know, nobody looks at your, what did you get in high school chemistry? No. Yes. Are you articulate? Can you think of your feet? Are you interesting? You're fun to be with? Done. Done. Yes, that's right. And and you reminded me, so I worked with a guy named Larry Faulkner, Dr. Larry Faulkner. He was the former president of the University of Texas, um, prolific author, uh, chemist, uh, so deep in the STEM field. But he said to me exactly what you said, Michael. He said, if you want to be a leader in any profession, you've got to be a writer and a speaker. He said that, right? And this yeah. is a, a chemist who, uh, you know, his whole career is based on that. But I tell you what, you, write, you look at his writings, even his emails, they were so clear. They were so compelling. Uh, he, he said that was the game changer. That was the secret sauce. So parents hear that. That's really critical. 
So okay, three uh, three specific superpowers there yeah. along those yeah. lines. Please. One superpower I mentioned for cold call email. Uh, I've I, I came up, you know, my mother was a high school dropout. My dad was an elevator repairman. I came from nowhere. I would say being able to send cold call emails that hmm. sell myself to people I don't know. Superpower. Another one is summarizing the uh, outcome of a meeting. A lot of times it's meetings, hey, does somebody want to summarize that? I'd volunteer. You know what happens? You summarize that meeting, you get to say what really happened at that meeting. So I would say it's definitely a power play. Let's summarize this. And yeah, finally, selling your idea. Steve Jobs created the most fantastic you know, company by some measures, he was basically a salesman. You know, he was, yeah. he had a great sense of beauty and a great salesman. He wasn't a tech geek. And so if you can sell yourself via email and or vocally, orally, and if you can write and summarize, superpowers. So parents, I want you to hear this. So, um, and Michael and I didn't talk about this before uh, going on air, but so Larry Faulkner, president of the University of Texas, uh, another guy, an, a friend of mine named uh, Lionel Jellens, who was a you know big shot at Exxon. Um, Faulkner talked about the importance of writing and communicating. Lair, uh, 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 Lionel Jellens talks about the importance of summarizing meetings. And so he took responsibility for meeting minutes every time he had the opportunity because he could then, as you said, shape the meeting. But he also could understand much more detail around what was going on in the meeting. Uh, and so, yeah, that's a, it's kind of a power power move, but it's one of the things that most people avoid, but it's a superpower. That's, that's so interesting that you're saying these same things that these other folks have described. And then the last one, a guy named Daniel Pink, an author, who wrote a book called To Sell is Human. When most families, I think, think about selling, they think about a used car salesman. But every time you open your mouth, every time you step out the door, you're communicating who you are. So it's a type of salesmanship about you and you're in, you're like who you are. And so I talk to my kids all the time about who are you communicating and would someone hire you? Would someone want to be around you based on how you're communicating and your nonverbals, et cetera? So all these things are huge, parents. You got to got to hear this. Michael is, is, is preaching, <laughs> preaching the truth. So, okay, so, Mike. Just, just, just to riff on that a little bit, yeah, again, yeah. sales, I've got a lot of complaints about K-12 and university, but one of my big complaints is I would say both in both K-12 and university, I would say are bigoted against salespeople, right? The stereotypes oh, right. of these car salesmen, right. but in real life, basically entrepreneurs who are celebrated, they're salespeople. That's you know, all you do. Real estate, man, a lot of people with no education make a ton of money in real yes. estate. Sales, yes. sales, sales. And right, every job you ever get, if you can sell yourself, voila. So um, basically I can imagine dumping all of K-12 and dumping university for some kids just become amazing salespeople. Yeah, Done. yeah. Well, and we had, so Michael, um, Michael set up a fantastic weekly um, uh, online conversation where we interview different folks from around the world who are doing different things in education, kind of following a non-traditional path. And two weeks ago, we had a young man, I can't remember, Chris was his name, I think, um, the 17-year-old. Yeah, um, I, I'm forgetting his name, but Yeah, yes. well, the young man who- Eric, I think he was Eric. Eric, that's right. From yeah. the age of seven, he was practicing sales. And I saw a video of him when he was age 12. And I tell you what, he was in front of how many, I don't know, several hundred people at a, at a conference. He was selling himself and selling a product. He was absolutely fantastic at the age of 12. That is, a again, a superpower skill. He's not going to lose that the rest of his life, and he will be in so many hundreds of environments where he's going to need to sell himself. He's already mastered it and, and at the age of 12, and now he's 17. So excellent, excellent, excellent. Okay, so now let's let's kind of 
jump a little bit deeper into that. So you, if you could build a school, which I know you've done many times, but if you could build mm-hmm. a school, I want you to make the case for a parent that might be listening, why the school that you build is exactly what their child might need. Not definitely, but might need. So give me a sense of what that school looks like and then and then sell us on the school, Michael. Sure. So I'll talk about the Expanse Core, my current program, expanseonline.coa. And we have a core program. You mentioned the core because basically beyond that, it's pure choice. So if kids want to do Japanese or STEM or whatever, but the core consists of several key components. One is community. So we spend time half an hour each day just having kids connect. It's actually really important. People are talking about social emotional learning all the time, but insofar as they are telling the kids didactically, this is what it means to be socially healthy. They're idiots. No, you create positive experiences. Hello, not hard. Um, So 15 to one. Next, a bit more intentional. We think of it as personal development, conversational, but how do we become amazing people? And actually kids are interested in that. Not if we preach, you don't say, you know, eat your spinach, whatever. No, no, what do we do if people are annoying? What do we do if we're angry? How do we figure out what we're gonna do? How do we figure out life? Kids actually want to figure out life. So we have, again, a conversational based place where kids can figure out life in a systematic way and learn both internal and external skills over time, Hmm. but by means of peers and examples. Then a little break, Socratic, we read and discuss difficult texts in philosophy, literature, poetry, anthropology, economics, political science. The idea is, again, not to preach to them about anything, but expose them. This is where the expanse comes from. I want them to think about all kinds of things. The world is crazy. The world is wild. The world is really hard to understand. So let's spend time thinking about it. Turns out kids love thinking, talking, and arguing with each other. Mm. Then writing. Writing, I, you know, I, I always say I love learning. I hate school. I especially hated language arts class. You know, the teacher would give me assignment on the symbolism of blah, blah, blah. And they're like, why, what? This is stupid. Um, for us, again, writing is a superpower. No, you know, Matt just said that public school is the greatest thing on earth because of A, B, and C. And I think it's terrible because of X, Y, and Z. We just outlined our essay. Yeah. You know, in this passionate argument, we outlined our essay. So essay writing becomes natural, organic. Um, you know, how to nail the points. If you want to write it as a business email, fine. The whole thing is organizing your ideas. Then projects, we support students and join their own personal projects of whatever sort. So that's totally about the student. You're the star of the show. Um, when I interview students, what do you love? Why do you love it? And when the kids are young, it includes things like, you know, sharpening and waxing in their own skis for a downhill ski racer or mm. learning to cook their favorite meals. But I've been doing this for a while. As high school seniors, I had students um, creating the w- official website for an American Idol finalist. And so that was his celebrity website for a year. Wow. Then he fired them, which was a good experience. I had a kid create a three-day music festival as a senior. He started off as a sophomore, booking bands, booking venues, selling tickets, made 8,000 bucks as a senior, three-day music festival, $80,000 budget, bands from around the world. He was a cool dude in that genre of music. <laughs> yeah. You know, I've had kids write novels, um, you know, create software companies, you know, day trader. I had a kid who was a photographer, had a photography business. He made 2,000. He became a day trader and cranked it up to 10,000. So real-world projects based on the student interests, and we're our job is to be a supportive ecosystem. And then finally, half an hour of one-on-one mentoring where we mentor kids. Uh, how's your academics going? How's your project going? How, how are you figuring out your life? Uh, how are you doing socially, emotionally? You know, what can I do to support you? You know, executives have a personal coach, so we give every kid a half an hour personal coach. So that's basically the core. It's all about how to support you in becoming amazing. And then beyond that, yeah, if you want to study, you know, STEM or Japanese or 
you know, animation, whatever, we support you in that. But that core, again, it goes back to being articulate, being confident, knowing who you are, conscious development of personal identity, how to become amazing, voila. And the thing is, kids love it. And I, I think they're much happier and better off. Yeah. Yeah. Again, parents, compare what he just described to a typical day at school uh, where you come in and you have to be there at a certain time. You sit down in the chair. Uh, you have to be quiet. You, you can't really talk. Uh, there is a curriculum that is foisted upon you that you have no interest in generally. Um, the, you know, the, there's very, actually, the, the, there's very few opportunities for guided relationship building, right? I, it, there's, you know, I'll, I'll just give you my, some of my experience, Michael. So middle school, for a lot of folks, I mean, I ask a lot of people about, like, how was middle <laughs> school? And everyone's mm -hmm. like, oh, it was terrible. Right. Because middle school is just this constant pressure of conformity and risk and, and people threatening you, uh, you know, your peers. There's no there's no safe space to have conversations about how do I pursue my personal interests. Right. But you're giving that to them as a part of the educational process. Big time. And, and again, just to go to my experience, I described secondary school as the most boring and cruel years of my life. Mm. As an adult, I'm never bored, not for a second. My experience of school throughout secondary was watching the second hand on the clock. Yes. You know, <laughs> that was that was life. And cruel. Yeah, kids are mean. And an adult, if somebody's a jerk, I don't hang out with them That's at right. all. And you have easy. the choice. People say, yeah, people say, oh, they need to get used to the real world. In my experience, I have I have a really fun, cool life doing what I love and loving what I do. I want to give all kids that experience. And school is exactly the wrong way. Absolutely. If you want people to be happy and flourishing, don't send them to school. Yeah. Yeah. Unless the, they're 20 percent of the weirdos that like it. Some people like it. Well, some people do like it, I think. And we can talk about that, too, I think, today. But I think this question of uh, what uh, how do you operate in school and how differently life is from that. It's almost the opposite, right? Like in school, the the pretty popular people have the power, right? The football mm -hmm. player. Uh, outside of school, it's everybody else, uh, particularly those that have intellectual curiosity. Those are, are skilled at writing and things you described, right? They have the power, right? Uh, in, in, uh, in secondary school, uh, you're afraid to show your uh, curiosity. In, in real life, you find you find people all over the world that may share your curiosity and you lean into it. So there are all these rules that apply in, in, an, in a traditional school that just turn on their head outside of life. And so we're teaching kids how to suffer through this period of time without actually preparing them really for the real world. So I want to rant on that a little bit. Yeah, come on, <laughs> rant, bring it. So responsibility and initiative. I would say, again, the people I want on my startup team, the people I want to work with, the people are valuable in almost any organization are those who are responsible, get stuff done. You know, if I say, Matt, can you get it to me by Tuesday? And you do, hey, we're on. Um, and who take initiative? Somebody who says, look, we're not doing this. We need to be doing this. Let's do this and makes a case for it. Yeah. Those kind of people are valuable and they have no respect for the status quo or existing rules. School teaches us to sit down and behave. You know, John Taylor Gatto, twice named New York City Teacher of the Year, the New York yeah. State Teacher of the Year, he described school as training and how to be passive and how to be dependent. Mm. And like, oh my God, you want to be trained and to be half, you, you're, you want your kids to be trained to be passive and dependent? Sad to say, they're losers in the 21st century. All the cool jobs are going to be for people who take responsibility and initiative. And if your kid is not out there, you know, learning to take responsibility and take initiative, um, 
you know, I don't care what grades they have, they're already behind the eight ball. Yeah, that's and so that that's a that's a complete mindset shift from where I was when I was coming up, right? The I, and probably you as well. When we were coming up, it was all about the grades. If you were a good student, then you got good grades, and if you didn't get good grades, you were in trouble, right? That was the that was the dominant thinking. And so now all these things you're describing, if you can build your capacity to sell, your capacity to communicate, your capacity to uh, take responsibility and initiative, you are going to win in this new world of, 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 uh, of the 21st century. So uh, that's, that's, again, something I think it's going to be hard for a lot of parents to get their head around. So let me ask this question, Michael. So one of the things that um, that's an ongoing debate that's hap- that I'm having right now, I want to get your thoughts on, is this question of who should own the learning of a child, right? And so some would say that that's the school's job, right? They're professionals, they have master's degrees, they should own the learning. They should decide what the child should learn. Others might say it's the parent and the parent should be telling the child what should learn. Some would say the child. Give me your thoughts about who really should own learning or what's the balance there? No, great question. First of all, uh, certainly in adolescence, I think the child should own learning to a significant degree, all the way through the parent should own learning to a significant degree. The school, I have pretty much zero respect for the school per se. Occasionally, they may know better than the parents, but in general, I think the parents know way better than the school. And just to give you a couple of uh, items along those lines, one is I think a lot of learning to become a professional school teacher is crowd management. You know, if you look at a regular public school, first five to 10 minutes are getting the kids all going in the same direction the last five to ten minutes are all making sure they got the right assignment you know put your name in the upper left hand corner of the paper uh it's basically crowd management if you're one-on-one you're with your kid exploring their interests you don't need any of that to go in a very different direction um one of the things that makes me most furious is when say professors say well we can't let parents decide because they might give a uh put send a student to a school with lower test scores you know i know i i spent decades with kids who are anxious, depressed, you know, if you've seen Miss Virginia, the fabulous film, kids being recruited by gangs, whatever, who knows if their parent is well, I mean, if their child is well, the parent, the teachers, the education system, they have this bizarre faith that third grade math matters. No, if your kid is happy, confident, healthy, they're well, if school is damaging in whatever sense, get them out now, who knows that, you know that, and you can look to see is my child thriving and flourishing or not, full stop. So this question, this term you've used about flourishing, that's something that parents I don't think usually think about. I mean, I never did. I I thought about were they getting the things done that were assigned? What's the difference between what's what does flourishing look like uh, for a child? Like, what should I be looking for for a child who's flourishing? So is your child happy to go to school? Are they excited? Are they vibrant? Are they articulate? Are they thoughtful? Let me interrupt you. Because, you know, there's a lot of kids that like going to school because school is is kind of playtime, right? Uh, Or school is better than sitting in the house alone. Uh, Or school is, you know, I mean, so, so a lot of kids like going to school, but is that flourishing? 
No, that's a good question. So first of all, one of the things we mentioned this last night is school has, as it were, a monopoly on the social experience and kids mm -hmm. do need the social experience. And that's mm -hmm. the tricky thing. And there are some places where you can homeschool and they're really rich social experiences. Mm -hmm. But one of the tricky things is even when school is boring, meaningless and even actively harmful, the kids crave the social environment so much right. they want to be there. Right. So I do think we have to kind of sort those things out. And if you're considering pulling your child out, yeah, I think proactively think, can I do a martial arts class? Can I do a dance class? Some social experience is, is healthy and critical for kids. Yes. Um, so I think you have to analytically separate to what extent they like it because they love being around their friends, healthy and legitimate, versus to what extent do they actually love the learning experience there. And so ask them, yeah, what did you love about your learning experience? Yeah, right. So the question in here is, um, if you're sending your child to school and the reason the child goes is for the social element, and they avoid learning, which is typically what oftentimes happens, then really it's not a school anymore. It's really, I don't know, a camp, a day camp, maybe? A social club, yeah. social club. And just one other thing, one thing I love, so I've mostly created secondary schools. I get a lot of homeschooling families who, when the kid gets into middle or high school, wants to, you know, can no longer handle it. I've seen lots of homeschooling kids, and I would say most of them are way more mature than mm -hmm. irregular kids. Yeah. And people think, oh, but how are they socialized? Well, they're socialized in part by hanging around adults, and adults are better, better role models than seventh graders. If you have your seventh grader in an environment only with seventh graders, Lord of flies. These people, <laughs> with all due respect to seventh graders, kind of barbarians <laughs> on their own. Hey, I've had three seventh graders, and yes, they, they are barbarians, even to their parents. So, uh, yeah. yeah. And, but see, that's even again, a, another kind of mind bending concept that a well socialized kid is a kid that can actually interact with lots of age groups is not uncomfortable, uh, at a dinner party or at a meeting, uh, interacting with adults. And, and again, as parents, we always, we oftentimes say, well, that kid must be weird. Is he weird or is that what you're actually aiming for? I mean, I think that's right. I mean, one of the, one of the things I'm very interested in is, you know, in indigenous tribes, they don't have schools. You know, young young boys go out and hunt, and you know, the girls do the gendered thing, and but they're actively doing the activities of the adult, and they exactly. grow. You know, at 12 or 13, they're expected to be members of the tribe. There's a rite of passage, uh, initiation rite, and they become young adults. Yes. And I believe that a lot of uh, adolescent dysfunction in our society, including anxiety, depression, suicide, substance abuse. Uh, you know, bullying, you name it, are because we have these healthy, strong human, human beings and we put them in this passive prison cell. Right? You know, it's, it's the damage is extraordinary. Listen, I, you guys, parents, I hope you really heard that. Like what I would tell parents, Michael, is imagine what just 150 years ago, heck, even 100 years ago, your 14 year old was, would, have, would, would understand how to operate an entire farm. Right, everything built, rebuilding material, uh, equipment, everything that he would need or she would need to operate an entire farm, they would have that by, frankly, by 10 or 11, frankly. By 14, yep. they are considered an, an adult. They can handle a weapon, they can handle, uh, you know, uh, horses, they, right? But now, when we look at a 14 year old, what, what freedoms do we give them? We give them the opportunity to go to school at a time that someone decides and go to classes at someone else's decision, right? They have zero freedom. So I think you're right. There's something about a child who knows that they're capable, but they're bottled up. That's got to be a frustrating experience. So now let's, let's pivot a little bit, Michael, because 
parents who might be thinking to themselves, gosh, okay, I'm hearing some of what Michael's saying. Okay, how do I begin exploring this idea? Like, how, you know, I, I don't think it's a light switch moment for most families where they go, okay, I'm pulling them out right now. For some, maybe, but it's more, I think, of a kind of a, you know, a dimmer switch. Uh, so how, what are some of the things you, you could suggest for a, a parent to begin the process of exploring and figuring out maybe there's another world outside of the school that's better for my kid? What are the things you might suggest for that? So I'm going to indulge in one quick rant on the previous theme, and then I'll answer this one. But <laughs> just here, for me, not only, not only is it 14-year-olds, but I think most societies around the world, when they see a 24-year-old college graduate who sits in mom's basement and doesn't know what to do, or a 30-year-old playing video games, they would say, this is a sick, sick, sick society. Yes, yes. I'm full on with them. We've, we're living in a sick society, and people have accepted it. Um, so at any rate, what to do? I would say first call Matt Barnes at the education game. He knows a lot about what to do. Happy to totally sell you. Yeah. No, but um, I, I think some of this is there are, uh, I want to give credit, especially I would say some smallers and some smaller communities, um, you know, things are more humane and it's not just a function of size, but I've been to say rural public schools where you know, a parent can go and talk to the principal and say, hey, we need some of this. And so I would acknowledge that there are some things that are working and usually it is small and personalized. Actually, I'll give you one example. I created a charter school in Angel Fire, New Mexico, town of you know uh, 2000 people. And there when a kid was in trouble, I would actually talk to the police chief, talk to the judge. I was the principal wow. of the school and the three of us would, you know, hey, what do we do with this kid? Yeah totally high touch and personal. So, you know, if you're in a high touch personal situation already, but if not, I would say do whatever you can to get your kid away from the damage. And I would say be a very assertive vis-a-vis your -vis public school. So I've known parents who, hey, I like the first half of what the school's doing. I don't like the second half. I'm pulling my kid out at noon. And they'll say, you can't do that. You can't do that. I'm like, okay, if I take him out the full day, you lose the money. What do you want to do? So be tough negotiators. I love, love, love your thing about um, our kids should be regarded as if they're in the hospital emergency room. And if your kid's bleeding on the floor, you don't wait for the nurse to go through her checklist. You're like, no, my kid's bleeding. We've got to deal with this. Right. So that kind of urgency, whatever it takes, your kid is happy, active, vibrant, taking charge, taking initiative. And there are incredible set of resources, again, both for when school's not working, our Monday show, as well as you. Um, we are here to provide thousands of amazing resources online in person networks you know there are there's a movement we're in the midst of a national movement helping more and more kids who are being damaged escape the system yeah no it's actually international michael i mean there's the same conversations are happening in germany and the uk and australia i mean the developed world is saying hey wait a second we gotta think of something different because this is a not this is actually not working um which actually brings me some comfort to know that there is an, a, an awakening of sorts uh, around the issues that you're describing. Um, and so so there are resources out there that you can find, again, the education game, when school's not working is our, our Monday night show. Um, of course, there's the internet, there's a ton of Facebook groups. I, you know, one of our uh, co-presenters uh, uh, on our Monday night, Kath Fraze, she talks about, just go to one of these Facebook groups and express your question, right? I'm worried about my son because I'm seeing these things. Can someone help me? You are going to get a ton of parents who've gone through the exact same situation and they have a ton of resources that can help you with that. So there are there are places for families of all types to, to start to fill the gaps around this. Yeah. So I also want to talk about how 
being more involved in your child's education and not as a recipient of the school, but really thinking about who they are and who they should be makes you much closer to your children. Oh, I think yeah. one of the another of the tragedies of modernity is there's this notion, you send your kid off, the professionals deal with them, they come back, what happened at school today? Nothing. And then they, you know, watch YouTube or whatever, play video games, and maybe you still have a family meal. Like, no, 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 no. Um, let's do this together. Let's work together. Let's play together. Let's figure out life together. And, and have it be a fun, cool family adventure. So Michael, for the, for the remainder of our time, let's, let's now talk about the beauty that comes when parents take a different level of engagement. I use the term ownership uh, of the educational process. Yes, we want children to be the uh, eventual owners of their learning, but if the parent just backs away, that means the child is, is usually in free fall. So that's not what we're talking about. But what let's then let's spin the positive, right? So you just described how when you as a parent, you start engaging in a way, having conversations with a child uh, like what Michael described in Expanse Online, um, uh, you're, you're talking about challenging texts together. You're doing this one-on-one -on -one mentoring conversation, which is like, how do I support you becoming uh, amazing. I mean, I think that I, I'm actually going to have that conversation with my kids today, Michael. So thank you for that. So what happens though, well, maybe I'll ask you, Michael, what happens when these conversations and this, this different type of engagement starts with between a parent and the child? What does that look like? So first, I want to be clear that I think, you know, a lot of parents, when they first start homeschooling, think they are the teacher and they want to stand in the kitchen with a whiteboard and, you know, give the lesson that's and so forth. Yeah, that's what we did. Exactly. Um, and I think, first of all, I personally regard teaching as an offensive form of interaction, which may sound outrageous, but imagine you're at kind of some kind of dinner party or a cocktail party, whatever, and somebody comes up, you know, Matt, I think you need to understand U.S. history. This is what happened, you know, like, F you, you ass, you know, <laughs> I try not to be, but you know, anybody who does that, they are horrible. Instead, if suppose somebody walks up to you and, hey, Matt, what do you think about this? What's going about this? So mm. I think the very first orientation we need to get away from is this top-down the whole model of teaching, you know, if somebody asks me, a child or an adult asks me to explain something, I'm happy to explain it, eager, enthusiastic, passionate about explaining, but there's a consent. They want me to tell them something. But if I had to, if they didn't ask me to explain something, I regard it as pretty offensive to have somebody just start telling me what I should be doing. Oh, and I think wow. kids in our society are even much bigger on that. So, you know, I have a, I have a video series on YouTube called Loving Your Child's Mind. Uh, there's a young woman named Alana. I began when she was four. She's currently eight. There's now there's another young man named Sankara who's also on these shows. But I, because I love talking to kids, yeah, Alana, what do you think? What's a puzzle? What's a game? What's an animal? How do clouds work? How do things fly? Mm. I want to know what she thinks. And the reason I call it loving her mind, you know, a lot of people celebrate, you know, the, the looks of a child or the athleticism of a child or whatever. I, and, you know, even praising a child for right answers, I think is the wrong approach. Yeah. I want them to know that I'm interested in what's going on inside their head. And by means of doing that, one metaphor I have is that um, a lot of people have done this, that nurturing a child is like a garden. You know, mm -hmm. what you water and you know, so forth grows. If it gets sunlight and water, it grows and becomes beautiful. And so if you're always nurturing your child's mind by asking them what they think and sharing things and sharing your excitement. Ideally, you know, the other thing is children are sponges. So um, there's an old thing, I can't hear what you're saying because who you are is getting in the way. Mm. So 
as much as possible. You know, if you need to be angry, depressed, frustrated, try to do it when the kids are in bed in front of the kids. I think try to be curious, engaged, active, hopeful, because whatever behaviors you're exhibiting, your child is going to replicate. Um, and so as much as possible, yeah, be your best self, enjoy life. Again, if you want your child, think about how you're, what you want your child to be as an adult. Do you want to be your child to convey kind of depression, anxiety, you know, stress? Uh, well, that's what you're doing. But do you want your child to, to you know, be joyful and optimistic and you know, that try to be that way around your child. Yeah. Wow. Which, which goes back to this issue of parents. We've got work to do. We've got work to do. If we want to raise kids who are amazing, then we've got to make sure we can be, we can make the ground fertile. And again, Michael, as you're talking again, and for parents that are listening, I don't have all this figured out. In fact, I have screwed up so many times. It's embarrassing to, to even to mention, but these conversations with people like Michael help me I'm super hopeful they are helping you to realize that your role as the parent is so absolutely critical. And and you know what? We've got some internal work to do too. We've got to figure out what is it that's driving us. Are we are we wanting our child to be something that we're not? Or are we really, as Michael said, are we really curious about the child's mind and loving the child's mind regardless of where they are headed? That is something that is really an internal work that we parents are going to have to wrestle with. So, uh, Michael, listen, I <laughs> we could talk for hours. We didn't even get to the black boy conversation, which I had hoped to do so. So let's have you come back, and then we'll talk to some some more specific subpopulations and and the dynamics that school is doing for those fam uh, uh, those individuals. Would that be okay? That would totally be okay. And I would say related to all this is social mobility and so forth as well. So there's so many issues associated with this. One other thing I just want to compliment you on, you're having a vision for your child. So this mm -hmm. goes back to um, first thing, yeah, what do, you, what do you want your child's life to be like? So right. yeah, happy to sell Matt, sell Matt Barnes, <laughs> do more of it. And, and come and also, uh, I have fun. Long ago, I realized insofar as we're moralizing and you should do that, doesn't work with kids, doesn't work with adults. So I'd say, let's create a community of people who have fun uh, raising amazing kids. And what's not to like about that? Yeah. So Michael, remind uh, our listeners how they can uh, learn more about you or, or your program. Michael Strong at expanseonline.co is my email address. I'm live and breathe this 24 seven. Um, and uh, yeah, come visit me uh, on Facebook, uh, LinkedIn, you know, you've got all my contacts. So happy to engage anybody. We want to make the world a better place. Fantastic. Michael, thanks so much for the conversation. Thanks for what you do. Looking forward to having you back on. We got lots more to talk about. Terrific. Thanks right. so much, Matt. Yeah. Take Bye -bye. care. So I hope you really heard that parents. That's um, boy, that was a lot. That was rich. This is one I'm, I'm actually going to replay uh, because I took some notes that I'm going to do with my own kids. The first is this idea of teaching is an offensive act. That is really profound because let me tell you what I do, parents. I go at, at, you know, at the dinner table and I say, okay, kids, here's what I'm going to teach you today. And nine times out of 10, they don't want to hear that, honestly. Uh, so Michael is helping me to recognize when I go down to the dinner table, I'll hopefully, hopefully I'll try it tonight and ask the question, what are you guys curious about? What is something that you don't understand that's going on in the world? Uh, things like that. So that's really helpful. Thank you for that, Michael. And then uh, one other thought here. I mean, there's got a bunch of notes here, but um, the other part is this idea of loving my child's mind. Um, I have some work to do to make sure that 
my behavior isn't undercutting the words that are coming, coming out of my mouth. When I tell them that I love them unconditionally, but yet I celebrate uh, when, they, when they get a, a good grade, uh, that's, that's almost suggesting that I may not celebrate them if they don't get a good grade, and that's not the message I actually want to send. So I've got some work to do to make sure I'm praising effort, praising the child's uh, eagerness to learn, their curiosity, uh, as opposed to some artificial grade uh, that oftentimes is inflated or, or frankly doesn't represent the effort they, they put in. So these were some of the things I took away. I hope you guys took away some things as well. Uh, Michael Strong, ExpanseOnline.co. Uh, take, take a look, check him out. And uh, thanks for listening to The Education Game. We're hoping that this conversation helped you get a little bit better at supporting your child to become, as Michael put it, amazing. So take care. We'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye.